Hey, listen, I want to tell you a little story before we go on to the sermon and talk to you a little bit about uh, uh, weeping and gnashing of teeth that's been going on. When I was at uh, my college, a little college in Springfield, Ohio, okay, there was this secret society of people. They weren't secret in the sense that you didn't know who they were and what they belonged to, but the society was secret. You didn't know what they, what they were actually doing in the society, and they were a group called the Shifters. Anybody know them? Raise your hand if you know them. Yeah, you know them. And so they're at my college, and... Um, you know, I've got friends that are in the shifters. And uh, my sophomore year in college, I get this invite by these two young ladies, don't think anything was untoward, it was just an invite, to go to this party. And I found it really unusual because I didn't really know these two young ladies, and um, they were twins, and I, I, they were real nice girls and all that sort of thing, but I just thought it was odd that they would invite me to a party because I didn't really know them that well. And my school was really little, really small, so you basically knew everybody. But I guess I didn't know them, right? So anyway, they invite me to this party, and I go to this party. And actually, there's some, I, I played football in college, so there were some football guys there, so I knew some people. But I don't know how to describe it to you. You ever been to a place? I felt awkward because I felt out of place. There was just something not, I didn't know what it was. I couldn't put my finger on it. I didn't really know why I was invited to the party. It was just a party. I knew some of the guys there. And, and it was weird because I felt awkward. And the people who invited me felt awkward because I felt awkward. Because I was just out of place. And you could just tell as the night kind of went on, the whole group kind of felt awkward for me. Don't say all. <laughs> you haven't heard the rest of the story. <laughs> and so uh, I went home, and I didn't think much about it. And the guys that I usually hung out with on Friday and Saturday, they said, what, what did you do last night, man? What, do you, what did you? I said, oh, I went to this party, and I named some of the people. And they're like, oh, my goodness. You got invited to a shifter party. And I was like, oh boy, oh boy, I didn't even think about this. And needless to say, I never got invited to join the shifter group. I felt out of place, and boy did I feel out of place. They felt out of place, and yet I like these people individually. And why am I telling you this story? <laughs> Jan says she has no clue. <laughs> because if you're in Jesus Christ, the Bible tells us you're going to feel uncomfortable when you're not at home. You have a place that's with the Lord. The Bible tells us that we're just traveling through. We are ambassadors for Christ, but you know what ambassadors do? They go to a far country in the name of the person or the people who sent them, in this case, Jesus Christ. But guess what ambassadors do when their term is up? They go home. That's where you're going. In some ways, God has called us to uncomfortably live in a place that we're not going to live forever. You, you get what I'm saying? It's uncomfortable. In fact, people don't accept us all the time. We share the gospel with people. We talk about the Lord. He's our all in all. And they feel uncomfortable. We don't maybe feel so uncomfortable. And they feel uncomfortable for you. But we should learn, and we do learn, to live in uncomfortableness, if that's a word. Uncomfortably. Now look, folks. Some of us are feeling uncomfortable this week. But I want to ask you something before we begin here today. I want you to tell me, I want audience participation. We might not be able to get this on the tape, but who cares? I want you to give me audience participation and tell me what the book of Acts is about. Tell me what the first part of the book of Acts is about. Yell it out. Young church, what else is the book of Acts? Acts chapter 2, what's it about? 
Holy Spirit. What is the church birthed in? Holy Spirit. What is the church to live in? The Holy Spirit. What does the church move and act in and go forth in? Holy Spirit. Empowered by the Spirit, filled with the Spirit. Now tell me what else the book of Acts is about after the Holy Spirit. Say it. I didn't hear. I can't hear it. Church growth, evangelism. What else have you said? Keep saying it. Spreading the gospel, discipleship, perfect. What else? Persecution, hmm. Perseverance, somebody else said something. What else? Gentiles, uh, people who aren't part of the people of God coming in to be people of God, right? Let, let me just show you something in Acts 2. Go to 242. As we start this way today, to remind ourselves of what Acts 2.42 is. In my opinion, Acts 2.42 is the formula for the church. You don't need to spend money on church marketing programs. If you're spending money on church marketing programs, you miss the boat. Sorry, pastors out there. Sorry, church councils out there. Because the Lord gives you the, the formula for the church. People spend thousands and thousands of dollars on this stuff. And the Lord just gives it to you right here in the Bible. And he says, what is the church to be about? To continue steadfastly in the apostles' doctrine, teaching and receiving the word. Hmm. Okay. Fellowship. Breaking of bread, obviously through communion and then, of course, I mean, hospitality and being at people's homes and having, right? And all that sort of thing. Breaking of bread and in prayers. Hmm, wow. Paid $10,000 for the church marketing study. And the Bible says, and they continued steadfastly in these. And then in verse 43, then fear came upon every soul and many wonders and signs were done. And now all who had believed were together and had hold their things in common sold their possessions good, divided them among as anyone had need. And listen to this, verse 46. So continuing daily with one accord in the temple and breaking bread from house to house, they ate their food with gladness and simplicity of heart, praising God and having favor with people. And here it is, here comes the punchline. And the Lord, not CCSP, not the Methodist church, not the Episcopalian, not anybody, not the non-denominational hipsters. The Lord added to the church daily those who were being saved. Now see, the Lord has an agenda, folks. And in fact, as he left this earth, he told us what to do. Here's his agenda. Well, teach people the word of God Baptize them in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit, and make disciples. Whew. I'm even smart enough to remember that. But see, lots of other things can take us completely off mission. I want to read you something we read today in uh, Foundations of the Faith. By the way, if you've never taken Foundations of the Faith, I recommend you take it. It's amazing. Somebody asked me if I like Foundations of the Faith or Bible College together. Or better, better, better. And I'm not going to tell you the answer. You have to come to Foundations to find out. <laughs> They're good in both ways. How about this? And how about this? The marks of the ministry. Paul wrote the marks of the ministry. He wrote this, 2 Corinthians chapter 6. I would encourage you to ch uh, turn there. And then we're going to go on to the sermon. In Luke, listen to the marks of the ministry that Paul says. We give no offense in anything, verse 3, 2 Corinthians 6, verse 3. Here's what we do. We don't give any offense in anything that our ministry may not be blamed. We try to be integral, integrity, right? We, as much as is up to us, we like live, want to live in peace with all men. Of course, we have to say the truth. We ruffle feathers. All of that's in there, but 
we don't want to do anything that our ministry might not be blamed. We want to have a good integrity. But in all things, we commend ourselves as ministers of God. Listen to this. Listen, folks, because you're a minister of God. You, you, you are going to go out here today and minister to people. In much patience, wake up, patience. In tribulations, really, Lord, I thought it was going to be smooth sailing. In needs, oh, we need this or we need that. We need this circumstance or that circumstance. In distresses, in stripes, they could beat my back. He wouldn't care. That's what he's saying. In imprisonment, in tumults, in labors, in, I, I don't care if I get enough sleep or I don't get enough sleep. I'm still coming. In fastings, by purity, this is what we're to be about. So, so what he's saying is, listen, our agenda, whether things are good or bad, is exactly the same, Paul says. Because we're on the Lord's agenda. <laughs> and the Lord's agenda is that many would come to know him in a real and saving way and live with him for eternity and for the life of me, I don't know why he does it, but he does. He uses people like me and you and us to share the gospel. So whether, I'm pa uh, whether uh, patience is called for or I'm impatient, whether, whether there are tribulations or not, mission's still the same. Whether I need stuff or I don't need stuff, mission's still the same. Whether I'm happy and joyous and playing a harp all the time or I'm in distress, mission's still the same. In stripes, people were beating me or I'm comfortable, mission's still the same. I'm imprisoned or I'm free, same. That's the book of Acts, folks. In sleeplessness or in fastings, it doesn't matter. By purity, this is what we're going to do. We're going to be pure. We're a called out uh, people by knowledge. We're going to learn the word of God, not so that we can be uh, uh, know-it-alls, but so that we can know the one who is found in the book of God. We're going to suffer long with people, not 50% of the people in America, all people. Oh, my goodness. Oh, oh by the way, what we're going to do as ministers of the Lord is we're going to be kind. <laughs> yeah. I, I wonder what he's thinking about our social media right now. And we're going to do it by the Holy Spirit, and we're going to do it with sincere love. That means, listen, listen to me. With sincere love, that means people who are on the upper, uh, other side of the aisle, we're going to actually love them. Not hate them. No, no, you can have your opinions. You can do that. Of course, you should have your opinions. You should be a good citizen. You should be an informed citizenry. You should learn about all the things that are going on with people and elections and platforms, and that's right. But the people on the other side, whatever you consider the other side, you should love. That's what Paul says, not me. That's what the Holy Spirit says, not me. And not only just love, you know, you know that love that's fakey? You, you know the love. Um, you know the love that, that, you know, when you shake somebody's hand? I, I love this, right? And they shake your hand, but they're looking other places because they want to know somebody else more than you. And they're going, hey, brother, how you doing? Let me get to the next person. No, no, no. They're with sincere love. How are you? Looking them in the eyes. With sincere love. We're to be loving people in our ministry, and we're to do it by the word of truth. Yes, no one's ever saying you have to deny truth. And you're going to depend upon the power of God, and you're going to put a righteous armor on your right hand, and you're going to put it on your left hand. You're just going to cover yourself with the righteousness of God, and you're going to do it even if people, look at this, you're going to do it even if people honor you or dishonor you. That's what he says. Whether they give you an evil report or a good report. If they give you an evil report, jump up and down, Jesus says in Matthew 5. If they revile you for my sake, just rejoice because your reward in heaven is great.
As deceivers and yet true. Some people say we're deceivers. Some say we're true. It doesn't matter. Our mission's the same. <laughs> As unknown and yet well-known. Whether, I'm, uh, you know, whether I get to speak to Billy Graham-sized 100,000-person stadiums or there's one person that the Lord calls me to. Mission still the same. Whether we're dying or not, mission the same. Or whether we live. Whether somebody's chastened us and we're just holding on and we haven't been killed, whether we're sorrowful or rejoicing, mission still the same. Whether we're poor or we have a lot, same having nothing yet possessing all things. Now, you obviously know what I'm talking about. And some of you are going to be uncomfortable and some of you on both sides of the aisle here. We've been mean to each other. <laughs> I mean, I don't know how else to say it. I don't know what's going to happen. Keep praying, keep doing all the things that uh, the Lord's calling you to do. I have no idea. But I do know this, folks. Listen to this. I know that the Lord's not in heaven going, oh my goodness, I didn't expect this. What am I going to do now? He totally knows. I, I don't know what you're called to in terms of politics or anything like that, where you are. I, I don't, if God's put you into the political realm, wonderful. Be a great citizen and stand up for what you believe. Of course, that's part of the process. But remember, you're, we are ambassadors for Jesus Christ. We go in his name. And when we go in his name, we go in a different way than others go. And we go by the power of the Holy Spirit. And the power of the Holy Spirit, listen, the Holy Spirit, listen, God gives grace to the humble but opposes the proud. I, I want you to let that linger in what you see and hear right now. God opposes the proud. But for those who are humble, he says, you can come straight into my throne room where you're going to find mercy and grace. So let's do this. Let's not get off mission. You can be involved in the political process and not get off mission. But I'm afraid many in the political process have totally got off mission. <laughs> you guys are looking at me like, uh-oh, he's in trouble. <laughs> well, some of you might think so, but some might not. And I would just encourage you, listen, search the scriptures. Keep staying with the word. What, what do I think is the most important thing we do this week? Spend quiet time with the Lord, each of us individually, receiving and uh, uh, getting wisdom and resource and direction from him. Okay, you've heard from me enough. If you have issues about what I'm saying, here's what I do, or here's what I recommend. You come up and talk to me afterwards. Don't, don't walk out of here in a snuff. Don't, don't do that. We're brothers and sisters in the Lord. Come, talk to me. Let's talk about it. I know there's different views, but I know one thing. These guys didn't get off mission. And guess what happened? The church exploded. All right. Turn with me to the book of Luke. I can't believe I worked shifters into a lesson. If, you, if me and Kelly are the only ones who know who that is, and... Uh, Boy, my shifter friends will be proud. Here, we're in Luke 4. We're at the 31st verse. We're in the 31st verse of uh, Luke. Now, I want to take you back just a minute and remember that in this same verse, Jesus has been in his hometown of Nazareth. You know this. He's been in his hometown of Nazareth. In fact, he goes back to his home synagogue, the place where he grew up. 
And after 30 years of being around the synagogue, the Sunday schools, the whole shooting match, uh, Jesus does this. Uh, Jesus does this. He, he gets up. He's called to read that day. Remember when you, I was in a church, remember, they would call you on Monday or didn't send an email back then, but they'd call you or tell you when you're leaving church, you're, you're going to read next Sunday. That was a big deal, right? And I would practice, and I used to do it like maybe in junior high or high school or whatever, and I'd practice, make sure I knew the words and all that. Well, here Jesus is the reader at the synagogue, at the Jewish ceremony. By the way, what, what's a synagogue? Well, it's a Jewish building designed for worship, kind of like a modern church building. And you know that synagogues uh, probably developed, most people believe they developed, during the time that Israel was in captivity. You get that? Where were they in captivity? They were in captivity in Babylon, okay, during the uh, um, uh, Old Testament times. When they were taken away into captivity, they had no way to congregate and to meet, so they formed synagogues, places of worship, well, and by the time the New Testament rolls around, uh, they're found uh, in the New Testament areas because when they came back, they still uh, kept that because, as you know, where you had to sacrifice was in a certain city, Jerusalem. But in order to meet as a religious ceremony, they needed a place, so they had synagogues. Did you know that? Well, here, Jesus is in his home synagogue, and he's on the Sabbath day, and he stands up, and he reads from the book of Isaiah. And this is what he says in the, or in the book of Isaiah, written about 800 years prior to the time of Christ, written uh, by Isaiah, th- by the Holy Spirit. It says this, the Spirit of Lord is upon me because he has anointed me to preach the gospel to the poor. He has sent me to heal the brokenhearted to proclaim liberty to the captives and recovery of sight to the blind, to set at liberty those who are oppressed and to proclaim the acceptable year of the Lord. And he actually, very tense in the synagogue, rolls up the scroll, rolls up the reading. He, he goes over, sits down, and says, what you heard, what I just read, what was written by Isaiah, is speaking of me, I'm the Messiah. And at first, everybody was kind of cool with that. And he was telling you the ministry. He's like, wow, that's a cool ministry, the people in the synagogue said. But then he said something. He said, but, but listen, he said to the synagogue, this is being opened up. Do you remember this great prophet Elijah when he had shut up the heavens for three years and six months and there was a great famine? But to none of them was Elijah sent except to, and he speaks of Elijah being sent to non-Jewish people. And then he goes on in 27 and he said, many lepers were in Israel in the time of Elisha and none of them was cleansed except a Syrian. In other words, in other words, folks, This is open to the whole world. Remember why Luke is writing this gospel? To tell you about the universal gospel. It doesn't matter where you've come from, what side of the tracks you're on, rich, poor, this or that, this or that, this or that. It's all open to you in Jesus Christ. What a beautiful gospel. This medical doctor is writing this, and this time it's so sad. Now, because this doesn't comport with their external religion, These people who loved him bullied him out to a hill and they lead him to the brow of the hill and they want to kill him. They want to throw him off the cliff. The same people who changed his diaper, watched him in Sunday school class, played with the Tonka toys with him or whatever they did with him, saw him growing up, been over to his house, uh, seen him in the shop where his dad was working with him, all those sorts of things, loved him, cared for him. They wanted to kill him. Because his religion, quote-unquote, the gospel didn't line up with their religion. Man, that's what religion always does. It kills, it's murderous, it's full of hate. But the gospel of grace is full of real love, sincere love, looking out for people. Why did I tell you all of that? Because I want you to know that his ministry, he tells us what his ministry is The Spirit is on me. He's anointed me to preach the gospel to the poor. Does that mean a rich person can't get saved? No. Poor in spirit. Spiritually bankrupt. 
Of course, he wants us to take care of the poor physically. There's other places that talk about this. But he wants to preach the gospel to the poor, the humble, because God opposes the proud but gives grace to the humble. Repentance takes humility. He sent me to heal the brokenhearted. Who here, don't raise your hand, but who here in your... Who here is brokenhearted right now? Who here has been brokenhearted? Who here, you know? To proclaim liberty to the captives. What do you mean I'm a captive? What do you, what do you mean captives? Bound in sin. And to set at liberty those who are oppressed, pushed down, heaviness, ruled over. Got it? and to proclaim the acceptable year of the Lord. So why did I read that? Because in verses 31 through the end of the chapter, he now says, watch it in action. I came to minister according to Isaiah. Boy, was Isaiah right. That's what Luke is saying about Jesus. And Jesus is saying and showing us right here by these examples. Luke is pulling them out so you can see he was true to his word. (laughs) Isaiah was right. (laughs) You get it? Why? What happens? Well, it says, then he went down to Capernaum, a city of Galilee. Where was he? He actually was a little bit south and a little bit east of Capernaum. So he went down to Capernaum. You know this. Capernaum's way up high compared to where Sea of Galilee is. By the way, the Sea of Galilee is not a sea at all. It's a lake. It's fresh water. It's about eight miles wide by 13 miles long, and it's below, listen folks, it's below sea level. It's like laying in a bowl. You can see all around it. It's laying in a bowl. And he goes, he went down. So he went down in topography to to Capernaum, a city of Galilee. Now Capernaum was the crossroads of two major highways at the time. In fact, they had taxes like you do when you go on Route 43 or the toll tax. They had a tax to use these roads. And it was the place where things intersected, and it's literally right at the northern tip of the Sea of Galilee. It's right there. And that's where he goes. Why did he leave? He's been kicked out in his home city. He's been kicked out in his home city. And so... Where would he go? Of course he would go to Capernaum, a fishing city, a a bustling city, full of commerce and people, throngs of people for the time. He would go there, and even today, when you go around the Sea of Galilee, there's other cities around there, and you'll go to them and see them, but Capernaum, that's the big place, the big ticket item. So he was teaching them on the Sabbaths. (laughs) I said it last week or two weeks ago, folks, Jesus went to church. It seems so elementary. But you know what Jesus didn't say? Jesus didn't say, I just don't feel like it today. It's just so cold outside and dark and dreary and it's raining. He didn't say that. He said, no, 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 I'm going to church. And oh, by the way, look at his experiences at church. A little bit ago, I just read it to you. Somebody tried to take his life in church. Now, I know you get in arguments here about coconut donuts and stuff. But I don't think anybody's got to take your life. Okay, so one Sabbath in a different city, but in the synagogue, somebody tried to take his life. In the, what we're about ready to read, he's getting up to teach, and a person in the audience in the congregation, starts screaming at him in a wild, bloodthirsty, curdling scream that was really embarrassing and really, wasn't embarrassing for Jesus, but you know what I'm saying, really obnoxious. He's screaming. He cries out with a loud voice saying, let us alone. We'll talk about that in a minute. So, so Jesus on one Sabbath, they threatened to kill him, the people from the church, Another Sabbath, he goes, and they're interrupting him. I mean, can you imagine an American church? I mean, if you get interrupted here or something, I mean, you could hold grudges for years about this. I could hold grudges for years about this, right? 
He gets interrupted. Later on, in some of the next chapters, Jesus is surrounded by scribes and Pharisees, Matthew 6, 6, and listen to what they do. They test him with insincerity. In other words, I'm going to put you to the test, the scribes and Pharisees say, about healing on the Sabbath. Because if you do, and you don't answer me the right way, the scribes and Pharisees are saying, we're going to take some stones and we're going to knock you out. Jesus had a really great church experience. And yet he went. And that should tell us something. See, listen, do you get saved by coming to church? Of course not. You guys know the scriptures. Uh, are you lesser if you go to the church? No, or, but, but listen, listen. A, it's the healthiest place for you to be. You're congregationally singing. You're participating with the brothers and sisters. You're fellowship with one another. You're praying for one another. When you're done here, don't go talk about who's playing the quarterback for the Cowboys today. When you're done, ask somebody who you could pray for. Can I pray for you? And then do it. Sharpen people. Encourage people. Challenge people in the right way. Love people. Remember, people sometimes are bruised reeds. Don't bend them in half and break them. Sometimes they, their, their candle is just almost snuffed out. They don't need the five finer points of sanctification right now. They need a hug. They need listen to. Going to church sharpens us. It rejuvenates us. It's a time that we can come together. It's not for the pastor to claim how many people come to the church or for the money to be filled, although, you know, those things happen too, except for I don't count. But you know what I'm saying. That's not this. You know what else church is? You ever thought about this? It's a witness to the community. What in the world are people doing here at 10.30, 9.30, 8.30 on a Sunday morning? Why would all those cars be in that parking lot? What's going on there that I don't know? You ever thought about that? And you're committed to it. And you say to yourself, here's what you say. You're the leader at the home, and you're the, you, mom and dad's are the leader at home. We're going, man. I mean, you just don't even talk about it. It just happens. Because you love your kids, and they love you, and you're just coming together because that's what you do on Sundays because we're going to worship the Lord. See, Lord's Day is about the Lord, and when you make it about the Lord, some reason you get blessed. But see, in America, the Lord's Day is... Um, do they have a rock wall? Am I going to be able to climb after? Do they have, a, they have coffee? Oh my gosh, the Keurig doesn't have the right coffee down there. You see, that's, where am I going to be most comfortable? Of course, you need to be fed and growing and, and, and feel comfortable in that way, in, in a good way, in the healthy way. But folks, we got church backwards. It ain't all about us. It's all about him. Now, this is going to be long if I don't get going because we aren't even through the first verse. But what I want you to see is that Jesus went to church. And Jesus didn't have great church experiences. But he kept going. And the Bible tells us did not forsake assembling together. Get together and worship and fellowship it's what we do, Acts 2.42. And Jesus showed us the way. So he goes down to Capernaum, and he was teaching them on the Sabbath. So he keeps going to church, and he keeps teaching. He keeps teaching. You know this, by the way. I don't know if you know this. But we're in a period called the early Galilean ministry of Jesus. But there's a portion of what Jesus did for about nine months prior to this. Luke and Matthew and those guys, and, and, and I don't believe Mark, they don't put it in. John puts it in. And John 1 through about the middle of chapter 4 tells us what he did in the early Judean period. He was around Jerusalem. He actually went up to Galilee once. You know it. 
He went into Cana. He went to a wedding. He chilled. He went to a wedding. He ratified. And, he, you know, he was having fun and, and being social and loving people, but still sharing the gospel. And here he is. He's in Cana of Galilee. That's, I know it's in Galilee, but it's still called the early Judean period. He goes up there, but then he comes right back, and he stays in, uh, uh, down in Jerusalem. So the point being, why I'm telling you that is he shared and he taught down there. And the early part of Jesus' ministry, it's just fascinating, is that he was a teacher. He was a teacher. And that word is fascinating in that it tells us what he was doing. Teaching, the word used in the Greek, is both the informal, or excuse me, the formal gathering of people where he would teach, but it was also informal gathering. In other words, Jesus was teaching not only from the scriptures, he was teaching with his life. And the word used is that when the scriptures are taught, how about this? Oh my, boy, does this work right in here. I never even thought about it till now. The word actually means that the word will change your mind about things in the right way. Most importantly, about yourself. See, because I grew up, before I was shared the gospel, I didn't think anything was wrong. But boy, when I was shown the gospel and the Bible, I came face to face with who I am and who I was and all that sort of thing. It showed me who I really am. Who? My heart is deceptively wicked. This teaching is a teaching from the scriptures, formally and informally, in gatherings, but maybe just walking down the road, maybe in the car with somebody, in which you are, under, or where Jesus here is obviously understanding the scriptures and, 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 and espousing them, and people are changing their minds or changing their conduct or going, whoa, I'm going to change my direction, repent. You get it? That's what that word means. And he was doing it on the Sabbaths in the synagogue, and they, listen to this, were astonished, they were amazed at his teaching. That, that word actually means, look, by a blow. They were blown away. That's the original jocularity of that. They, they were blown away. They were amazed. It would just hit them like a ton of bricks. This teaching hit them like the ton of bricks. They couldn't believe what they were hearing. This was amazing, for his word was with authority. That's with power. He taught, listen, listen, he taught with the right to teach, and then he taught with the might of power. In other words, he could explain the scriptures like nobody else. Now, these people were used to it. They'd been in the synagogues. You know how it is, and right? You're, you're listening to the reader, you're congregational thinking, yeah, I don't really like that worship style, what are the Steelers going to do today, I heard somebody got COVID in the front office, what are they even going to play, and then he comes, and they're like this, right on the edge of their seats, right from the scriptures, they're amazed, and it's like they're being punched right in the gut, in the good way, they're blown away by what Jesus is saying. And when it says he has authority, think about what they were used to. They followed rabbis. And what would rabbis teach? Here's how rabbis would teach. Well, rabbi so-and-so says, well, that commentary on the Torah says. And so the rabbis would teach from other people's learning. You get that? Also, they were used to prophets. What would prophets say? Thus says the Lord. Of course, they would give credit to the Lord, the prophets, right? What did Jesus say? He goes, I say. Da, 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 da. I say. In other words, he was saying, I have the authority to say these things. And that blew them away because they weren't used to it. So they were astonished at his teaching, for his word was with authority. Now, in the synagogue, there was a man who had a spirit of an unclean demon. You see, we have forces against us. You could read Ephesians 6. They're organized. And in this particular person, there's a person in church. Jerusalem Fund. 
There's a person in church. Somebody's phone went off. It's probably mine. <laughs> the bad part is I don't have any money. <laughs> so he's there, and this guy has a demon. Think about it. One in the crowd has a demon, and he cries out with a loud voice. Can you imagine if you were sitting out here, and there's a demon-possessed person, and he starts standing up and yelling? And the exorcisms that took place back at this time were a bunch of pomp and circumstance. They had these, there's these extra biblical writings that describe some of the people who tried to perform exorcisms at the time. And they would do all kinds of hocus pocus and they would dress up weird and they'd run around and uh, they'd have all these incantations and these gyrations in it. You know, they prayed and they hoped that something good could happen and this person would be given relief. You get that? So, not that they're used to people in church, but they're in church. wonder what Jesus was thinking. I wonder what the people were thinking. It must have been tense for the people, but Jesus wasn't tense. The guy cries out with a loud voice. And listen to what the demon knows. So interesting. First of all, let us alone. There's more than one. And it says, why... What have we to do with you? Listen, 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 listen. The demon knew who he was and where he was from. He knows him. He knows he's Jesus of Nazareth. And he says this, did you come to destroy us? Do you know in 1 John 3, 8, we just got done studying that book. It says, for this purpose, you want to know, here you go. You want to know the purpose of the Son of God? It tells us in 1 John 3, 8. It says, For this purpose the Son of God was manifested, that he might destroy the works of the devil. <laughs> Jesus is doing what he was called to do. By the way, look back over at Isaiah 61, which is earlier in Luke 4. To set at liberty those who are oppressed. He's doing the work on which he was called to do by his heavenly Father. Isn't that beautiful? And nothing more, nothing less. He was doing the work that the Lord called him to. And this was a demon. And he says, do you come to destroy us, the demon says? And he says, I know who you are, the Holy One of God. I know who you are because James tells us that even the demons know. The demons know the Bible better than you do. Just saying. But it says that they tremble at him. Why do they tremble at him? Because they know the rest of the story. They know what's happening. They know what's going to happen for them. They know their lot. They know they're defeated. And yet, let's try and get everybody we can until the Lord comes back to follow us or to go down the wrong path or to discredit their witness or have them fall into that sin or this sin. That's what they are. But he's the Holy One of God. Jesus is the Holy One contrasted against this guy who has a demon in church screaming. Jesus isn't caught off guard. He knows it. We don't fight against flesh and blood, but spiritual powers. He knows it. And he just says, rebukes him, and he says, be quiet and come out of him. He doesn't do any incantations. He doesn't dance around. He doesn't run up and down the aisles. Doesn't fall on the floor. But just come out of him. In other words, I have all the authority over the spiritual realm. Just come out of him. See, and the demon had thrown him in their midst. He still tried to hurt the guy. It came out of him and didn't hurt him. Jesus protected him. And then they were all amazed and spoke among themselves. Isn't this great? <laughs> I, I have a feeling Luke went up and interviewed some of these folks. I really do. He was the great historian. How would he know this? What a word this is. For with authority and power, he commands the unclean spirits, and they come out. Now, this is a fascinating word. And the report, that word is echoes in the Greek. In other words, it happened in Capernaum. But Jesus' exploits, the things that he do, did in the name of the Lord, echoed throughout all this time. It is even echoing today. 
all the things that Jesus accomplished and will accomplish, the great echo, the report about him went out into every place in the surrounding region. The word gets out. He has power over the spiritual realm. Wow. Even a demon. No incantations, just come on out. Well, this, he arose from the synagogue. Think about it now. Check this out. See, you're going to go home and get your dagwood ready, lettuce, tomato, get an icy Coke, put your feet up, maybe take a little walk, watch the game. He cruises home from church with his pals. He gets out of the synagogue and he comes to Simon's house. There's some indication that he might have stayed here. Simon's wife's mother, even I can figure that out, it's his mother-in-law for my Catholic friends. Peter was married. He, He arose from the synagogue and entered Simon's house, but Simon's mother was sick with a high fever. Now, you don't get this in the Greek, but this is a medical term right here. Uh, he's distinguishing between a low fever, a low-grade fever, and a high-grade fever, and he's using the high-grade fever medical term of the time. Of course he would. He's a doctor. So she's sick with a fever, and you know what he's... You know what we do. <laughs> that person asked me to help move them after church. Man, I want to watch the game. I, I got a Dagwood waiting for me. I'm going to put chips on top of the, I'm going to, it's going to be icy and cold and I deserve it. Here, nothing was a bother to him. His mother was sick with a high fever. He, they made a request of him concerning her. So he stood over her and rebuked the fever and it left her, it left her. And immediately she arose and served him. Now I want you to see something here. Obviously this is teaching that he even has power over the physical. <laughs> you say, well, why didn't I get healed, or why didn't they get healed, or why, didn't, why weren't they healed? Well, they will be healed <laughs> if they're in Christ. No doubt. Sure promise. They're going to leap. Uh, Johnny Erickson Tata is going to leap and dance, and she's been paralyzed for all these years. And she will. She'll do that. So she will be healed. But he has power over the physical realm, but what I want you to see too is the first miracles in public, but he was the same in private as he was in public. Youch. I said this a couple weeks ago when he had been left in the temple by his mom and dad, not really. But see, this is a good principle. Make sure you take Jesus home with you. Don't leave Jesus at church. You know the people, oh, hey, brother, I'll pray for you. Yeah, I'll pray for you, man. And then get home and just all hell breaks loose. They're just posing. They're just faking. And here's another thing. When you take Jesus home, listen, when things get hot, like anger or bitterness in the home, if you'll bring Jesus into it, your home will be healed too. You catching that? And hear this one, the one. Listen, it's just one person, just this lady, you know, Simon likes her, you know, mom and all that, but it's just one. It's not 50,000, it's not 100,000, it's not for the show, it's because he's concerned about even the one. And so should we be. So should we be. So he stands over her, that sounds weird, but it's another medical term. It's like the doctor is attending to the patient. That's the phrase there. And it's doing it with care. This is like he's saying, Jesus had immaculate bedside manner. That's what they're telling you there. Just so tender and so loving. And he rebukes the fever and it leaves her. And immediately she robed and served him. Listen, when Jesus transforms your life, he saves you, first of all, from your sins. Pays the penalty in your place The immediate response, and I'm so thankful for my friend Ty. He 
He prays this every Sunday night that he's here. He never misses with this prayer. God, we should be a grateful and thankful people. (laughs) You know what this woman would be tempted to say? Man, I had so much to do this week. Lord, you put me down with a fever. Can't believe it. I had things to do. I had people to attend to. No, listen, she gets up immediately. She's healed. And instead of cruising or doing whatever, she turns it all back to the Lord in praise and honor. She serves him. When you're transformed by the Lord through being saved, you know what your life should look like, my life should look like? We should be excellent servers. Servants. Laying down our lives for other people for the glory of the Lord. Servants. Well, he goes on, many healed now. When the sun was setting, all those who had any that were sick with various diseases brought them to him. Now, why would he say, why would he say when the sun was going down? Why would he say that? Well, if you're not Jewish, you might not know. But see, their day was from sundown to sun up. Am I saying that right? I always get it backwards. Sundown to sundown, right? Yeah, sundown to sundown. You know that. It started in the evening time is what I'm trying to say. And what happened was the Sabbath is now going, is, is, is stopping. And so they can bring people to the Lord. This is such a weird thing, isn't it? It's so religious. Jesus annihilates this, by the way. But for now, uh, think about what's happening. They're saying, oh, geez, the Bible, or excuse me, the Torah says we can't do any work on the Sabbath. So they started to interpreting work like can't, you can only walk 230 steps. I'm just making up a number. I don't know the number. But if I go 231, then, oh, geez, I've just worked on the Sabbath. One of the things that you couldn't do is spit on the ground on the Sabbath. That's working. You know why it was working? Because you could possibly uh, create clay out of the saliva. Another, you you know, and to lift somebody and to take them to Jesus is work. And so they wait until after the Sabbath. Jesus annihilates all of this. We'll get to that later. These man-made traditions. But when the sun was setting, that's why he's telling you this, the Sabbath's over, so they bring the sick to him. It's a new day. Various diseases are brought them to him, and he laid his hands on every one of them and healed them. And demons also came out of many, crying out and saying, you are the Christ, the Son of God. (laughs) The demons know. They're crying out. You're the son of God. I want you to catch another thing. He laid hands on all of them. Sometimes people just need a hug. They need to be listened to, looked in the eyes, said, you matter. I'm listening to your story. I know you're hurting. Jesus did it. Of course, he could heal. And he saw this tension excuse me, many crying out, you're the Christ, the Son of God. They knew exactly who he was. They knew exactly the Son of God. Remember, Jesus has to be both the Son of Man and the Son of God so that he can bring the two together. And they know. They know exactly who he is. And they know exactly his agenda. And they know exactly their fate. And he rebukes them and didn't allow them to speak for they knew that he was the Christ. Why would Jesus not let them speak? Now remember, these are the demons coming out of these people, and he wouldn't, wouldn't let uh, the people speak, or, right? He rebuked them, didn't allow them to speak, for they knew that he was the Christ, didn't allow the demons to speak. Excuse me. Why? Well, he didn't want, he didn't want an endorsement from the demons. <laughs> That's not unusual. And he pre- I find this beautiful, I think. He wanted to protect the dignity of the people who were filled with a demon so that people wouldn't ostracize them. Isn't that beautiful? So just keep quiet about it. I think there's also some levels. Some people say, why didn't Jesus tell about his miracles all the time? Well, he was also protecting against this superficiality Christianity where we're just chasing after signs and wonders. Jesus always about teaching first and then confirming things with signs and wonders. And if you just do the signs and wonders, if you're always just after the signs and wonders, you're going to have a superficial Christianity that's here today, gone tomorrow. 
And Jesus knew it, and he rebukes them. What finally happens? Well, this is the punchline, I think. You've just witnessed a day in the life of Jesus Christ. There's actually a few more events that happen in another gospel, but he was busy, folks. Can you imagine how busy he was on this day? He goes to church. They're screaming at him. A couple weeks ago, or a week ago, a couple weeks ago, they wanted to kill him. Now they're screaming at him, and then he, he's doing this, and he walks home, maybe just to get a Dagwood sandwich or put his feet up, but there's somebody sick, and he doesn't deny them. He doesn't deny her. He does this thing, and then, man, okay, evening time. I'm going to skip the prayer meeting because I want to watch, you know, the Cowboys are on tonight or whatever, but, he, but no, the sun sets, and now people start bringing him. He doesn't say no. He lays down his life, and he says, okay, I'll talk to you. I'll, t- I'll even touch you. I'll come and touch you. I'll, I'll have a compassion on you, even in my free time. Man, uh, Americans love free time, right? I had nothing on my agenda. I wasn't going to do anything. He lays down his life and just is after the person. And what's the key? This is the key. Here it is. It all comes at the end. <clears throat> so the next day, he doesn't turn his alarm on, and he sleeps in. No, it doesn't say that. Now, when it was day, and by the way, this same account in Mark says, before the day, in other words, he got up really early. He got up really early. When it was day, he departed and went to a deserted place. So really early in the morning to a place that he was alone. And you know what, folks? Just so he could be with the Lord... The father and the crowd sought him and came to him and tried to keep him from leaving them. Are you catching this? By the way, in the parallel account, there's an implication that a couple of the apostles come and say, hey, we got to get back to Capernaum, man. Things are going great there. Catch it. And the people say, don't go, don't go, don't go. Come back into, right? And this is the cosmopolitan town. This is the place where all the things meet. This is where things are happening. I'm going to go where the fish are, Jesus, or the people say. Jesus says, hold on. I must preach the kingdom of God to the other cities also, because for this purpose I have been sent. Why do you think I'm so amazed by that? Because Jesus only did what the Father told him to do. In other words, you, in your own personal feelings, might think, well, Capernaum's the pace I need to be. But when you spend time with the Lord, listen, listen, you not only get resource for the day and strength and joy and peace and humility, there in, in the presence of the Lord himself in a deserted place, you also get wisdom. You also have purpose. See, because a lot of people are going to tell you, you should be doing this, you should be doing this, you should be doing this. But what if the Lord's not telling me that? What if he's telling me to do this and go in that direction? Even when the good people say it's the right place to be, Jesus knew. But he got it from the Lord. Now listen, folks. You're called to be in prayer. In fact, in Matthew 6, 6, you can look it up later, Jesus just assumed that you would be fasting and praying. If you're a Christian, he just assumed. He didn't even say it. He just, well, you'll be fasting and praying, so do it this way. Here are the reasons to do it, or here's the places to do it, or the, why you should do it. In fact, in Luke 18, 1, he says, men ought always to pray and not grow what? Faint, weary. You say, why am I so tired of life? Why can't I get traction? It's just so weary. Go to the Lord. How about this? Turn over to Luke 21. Just go there. I want you to see it for yourself. Luke 21, 34 through 36. Read this. But take heed to yourselves, lest your hearts be weighed down with carousing, drunkenness. Here, look at the other. Look what he equates with carousing and drunkenness, the cares of this life. And that day come on you unexpectedly. In other words, 
make sure you're praying, you're spending time with the Lord because you have a lot of cares of this life and he wants you to give them over to you. In fact, he said, come to me, all who are weary and heavy laden, I'll give you rest. And I wanted to just read you a couple things to remind you of what prayer is. I, I, I'm a reader, so this is a Scottish pastor, David McIntyre. Might not be what you think. It's prayer. It's dwelling with God. Prayer. How about this one? The ascent, the ascent of the soul into the sacred presence. How about this? Prayer is said to be gathering up of all the faculties in an ardor, love, of reverence and love and praise. All the faculties, everything you are. Here's another definition of prayer. It's just waiting upon him. In other words, you're expecting, you're looking with patience. But here's the other one I want you to see. When you're waiting upon the Lord, uh, it's expecting and looking for what God's going to do with patience, but it's also submission to the Lord and his authority. It's to long for, but not impatiently, to look for, but not to fret at the delay, to watch for, but not restlessly, to feel that if he doesn't come, we will acquiesce, and yet to refuse to let the mind acquiesce in the feeling that he will not come. Oh, that's really deep. How about this? Those who pray work well, work. Those who pray most achieve the grandest results. Pray in times of need and other places. Here's another pastor, R.A. Torrey. You might have heard of him. Guess what he says about the church and prayer? Prayer brings blessing to the church. Listen to this. Prayer will root out heresy. I'll give you this. It will allay, A-L-L-A-Y, I don't know if I'm saying that right. Smarter people than me will know. Allay misunderstanding, sweep away jealousies and animosities in the church. Sweep away jealousies and animosities. Obliterate or immoralities and bring in the full tide of God's reviving grace. History abundantly proves this. Catch it. Now listen, tune in right here. In the hour of darkest portent, when the case of the church, local or universal, has seemed beyond hope, believing men and believing women have met together and cried to God, and the answer has come. So go back real quick, and we're done. When you look at this, you go, wow, Lord. I see that you've been called to a ministry, according to Isaiah, straight from the throne room of God, by the Spirit of God. You told us, or Isaiah told us what the Messiah's ministry is. You're the Messiah. You have power over the unclean spirits. We are to take you home with us where fevers will be reduced. Of course he can heal us physically, and he does heal people physically, but he will heal you if you haven't got that healing. You will be healed. But listen, what he can also do is lower the temperature at home. He'll heal anyone. He'll do it publicly or privately. After the Sabbath, they bring him, and they know who he is, and he rebukes them, and it shows us that he has all power and all authority according to Isaiah 61. He showed us how to live. He didn't go cruise with Dagwoods and football games. Nothing wrong with eating a Dagwood. Nothing wrong with watching a football game. But he didn't let it interfere with his time with the Lord. We shouldn't let it interfere with our time in the Lord. Why are we weak and anemic as the church? I think it's because we don't pray. We don't cry out to the Lord. Not like they did. The Bible says, go, or Jesus says, go into your prayer closet. He says, just get alone. Here's what prevents us from getting alone. It's sitting over there and it's beeping. And now it's thrown on the ground. <laughs> and broken. <laughs> We're so distracted with Netflix and Spotify and 
cell phones and Instagram and Facebook and, and Twitter and, and, and uh, movies and, you know, whatever. We're so, we're so, we just say we don't have time and that's a to- we're all lying to ourselves. We do have time. Jesus just says, come to me and I'll give you rest. Let's do this this week. Let's do this. Say to yourself, you're going to put aside something for 15 minutes. Put your phone away and just walk with him and talk with him. Put the Bible beside you. If you look at Acts 6-4, prayer and the word always go hand in hand. They devoted themselves constantly to the word and to prayer. The Bible calls us to be praying without ceasing. Now, what does that mean? It doesn't mean you're going to spend your time on the floor 24 hours a day. You're going to go do your work, but you're going to be practicing the presence of the Lord even at work because work is even a prayer unto the Lord. It's worship. And we will glorify the Lord in a time when people think it's the darkest. We are so uniquely positioned right now to shine Jesus to a dark and hurting world. Let's pray. Lord, thanks so much for today, and thank you for your word. And uh, I just pray, Lord, that each of us, starting with me, would just think on these things. And, Lord, even as you tell us how we would be amazed and how you would teach us and how these things would change our attitudes and minds, this word is to cut in the right way, divide soul from spirit, Lord, have your way in us here today and always. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.